0: hope you're having a great summer. Uh, it's hard to believe we're over halfway through July, over halfway through the summer months, but I'm so glad you're making time to worship with us today. Now, we're in this series called The Table, and for the most part in this series, we've looked at dinners that Jesus shared with people who wanted to follow him, people who were either already followers or they were interested in becoming followers or disciples, of Jesus. Uh, but Jesus not only ate with people who wanted to follow him or who were interested in him or or who liked him. He at times had meals with uh, well, the antagonist of the story. Those are the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They always looked at Jesus with skepticism. Very often they were looking for a way to trap Jesus or set him up or discredit him. Jesus is willing to sit down at the table with them as well. We might say Jesus was willing to dine with the enemy. There are several times in the New Testament where Jesus has just such a meal now conversations in general when the religious leaders were involved tended to get awkward or they tended to get confrontational and when Jesus sits down and has a meal with the Pharisees the conversation tends to get awkward I said at the very beginning of this series uh, one of the unique aspects of having dinner with somebody or having a meal with somebody is you can't just get up and walk away Uh, that's especially true if the conversation gets awkward. We've, We've all been at that meal or at that dinner where something is said that nobody was expecting or an awkward comment or an awkward pause happens in the conversation. And most of you are like me. When an awkward moment happens at dinner, you just eat a little faster. And you look down at your food and you try not to make eye contact with the other person. Jesus' meal that we're going to look at, it's found in Luke chapter 14. Uh, there is a not just one moment of awkwardness, there are multiple moments of awkwardness, multiple conversations that just get a little uneasy. Matter of fact, there's so many in this one dinner, we're not even going to have time to cover them all. We're, we're going to cover just a couple of them in this one meal that Jesus shares with the Pharisees. Here, here's how it takes place. It's in Luke chapter 14, beginning in the very first verse. And and some of you maybe like awkward conversations. You You like going awkward places. It doesn't bother you at all. Probably most of us aren't that way. But Jesus was Well, he was was really good at navigating awkward conversations, of saying what needed to be said in the right way, in the right timing, and just kind of putting it out there. That's what happens in Luke chapter 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Jesus goes to the home. not just a Pharisee the scripture says he was a prominent Pharisee Pharisees were experts on all things religious and Old Testament and the law and how everybody else should live they made the rules he goes to the home of a prominent Pharisee and we're told it's on the Sabbath so this was a Sabbath meal which It was different, it was a little more significant than like a random Tuesday lunch. This was a significant meal of the week. Prominent Pharisee had invited Jesus and had invited some other religious friends, some other Pharisees to the meal. But there was an unusual guest and Jesus noticed this guest Right away, there was a man there who had some physical problems. Uh, the, the scripture tells us that he had some disease that was calling his, causing his, his body to retain water. As a result, uh, there was some swelling. He, he was uncomfortable. He was, he was sick and, well, honestly, he was out of place. This is not where you would have expected to find this person, a room full of religious leaders and scholars and experts. Honestly, they were a room full of people who tried to stay away from this type of person. They didn't want to be around sick people. They didn't want to be around diseased people. They thought that that would cause them to be unclean, religiously, ceremonially, spiritually unclean. So most of the time, they avoided people exactly like this. So when Jesus saw this person in the room, he immediately knew this was a setup. They had invited this person to to the gathering for one purpose, and that purpose was to see if they could trip Jesus up. You see, it was the Sabbath. And according to their rules that people like them had made up, it was wrong to do something really good on the Sabbath. If you had the ability to heal people, which Jesus had the ability to heal people, it would be wrong to use that ability. It would be considered work to use that ability on the Sabbath. And the scripture says you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Now, the Old Testament law really didn't forbid healing. They had just made this rule up. As they were interpreting what it meant not to work on the Sabbath, they decided... That healing somebody, doing good in this way, would violate the command to work on the Sabbath. So Jesus sees right through their plans. He knows this person is not somebody they would norma- normally have invited. Therefore, that person is there because they're trying to set Jesus up. You see, the religious leaders in Jesus had had, had conflict over this specific issue before. They had raised questions about Jesus healing people on the Sabbath before, and here we are again. Now, the NIV um, doesn't do a really good job of translating one of the verses. Uh, the NIV says Jesus asked the Pharisees a question. Uh, it it pro- probably would be better translated something like Jesus answered the Pharisees, or Jesus responded to the Pharisees. Even though they had not audibly asked a question, Jesus knew they were asking a question. Even though they had not audibly challenged Jesus, Jesus knew this was a challenge. So he responded to the challenge that they didn't give, but they really did give just by having this person present Jesus responds to their challenge. He, I, I, Jesus also must have known that the religious leaders didn't really care about this man. He was there as a show, right? He, he was there as the punchline to a joke. Jesus knew they didn't really care. They were using this person. It's it's striking how often humans use one another. We have a tendency to use one another's sorrow for our own purposes, for, for uh, our own um, causes. We, we have a tendency to use other people's failures for our own enjoyment. We, we sometimes take delight in the pain of people who disagree with us because we somehow think that proves our point humans all throughout history, we have used other people for our own purposes. I mean, even a a surface level consideration of humanity and history would lead you to believe that we are a broken people who are capable of using the brokenness of others for our own enjoyment or to make our own statements. That's exactly what is happening here. And Jesus would not ignore the moment. He would not let the moment pass. He responded. He answered the question that they were asking. But the interesting thing is, he answered the question with a question. It, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? You know, touche, right? Jesus answers their question with his own question. Is it lawful to heal? Is it lawful to do a good thing, to help somebody on the sabbath right jesus responds to their trick question with a trick question because if they say no then that's going to call into question their ability to be compassionate for somebody else their ability to show mercy but if they say yes you 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 shouldn't do this then that's going to call into question their commitment to the law their commitment to the Old Testament law, as they had defined it. They were were stuck between a rock and a hard place. So Jesus, as they're trying to come up with an answer, heals the man and sends him on his way. But he asked one more question. If one of you has a child... Or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? See, they couldn't answer the question of whether it was right to heal on the Sabbath or not because they knew they'd they'd either look like terrible people or they'd be violating their own laws. So Jesus changes the question and says, "What, What if this was somebody you knew and you actually cared about. He, he changes the issue from an abstract test case. He pulls it out of the laboratory. Right? He, he doesn't want to just speak in theoretical terms or or clinical terms because he knows that the Pharisees don't really care about this man. This man was just a guinea pig. He was just a mouse in a maze. He was just a number. There was no personal attachment to this man he was just the case study was John Doe he was patient zero he didn't have an actual name they didn't know him they didn't care about him so Jesus doesn't want them or we could say Jesus doesn't want us just to put on our lab coats when it comes to personal issues and problems and 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 social questions of the day. Jesus doesn't want us just to get our clipboard out and and check some boxes and make some notes. He's not asking us just to rate the story on a scale of one to ten. He doesn't want us to sit back and just observe what's happening to humanity. Jesus makes it personal. What would happen if this wasn't a stranger that you didn't even know? What if it was one of your kids? Or what if it was just one of your animals that you needed for your farm? What if this was personal? What if your child fell into a well, fell into a hole? On the Sabbath, would you wait until the next day to get them out? Well, of course not. Of course not. When pain is personal, our perspective pivots. When pain is personal, the way we see the situation shifts. Maybe a little, often a lot. When it's just a number, when it's just John Doe, when it's just patient zero, when it's just a case study, I see it in one way, but when it's personal to me, I see it completely different. Jesus asked, what if this was your child? What's your your child's name? Maybe Jesus could have even said, tell me your child's name, Joseph. What if this was Joseph? What if if Joseph was injured, was hurt, was lost, was, was in a hole? Would you just say, hey, Joseph, I'll be back tomorrow. I can't get you out today. Jesus knows the answer to that question. Jesus knows when pain is personal, our perspective pivots, right? When there's a personal connection, we just see it differently. It's it's easy for us. Let's be honest. It's easy for us and somewhat clinical for us To discuss and decide what should happen to someone we don't know. Right? What what should happen to that person in another state involved in another incident, in another issue? We, We can step back and look at that circumstance and we can decide what they deserve, right? Or what they don't deserve. Very clinically. Like we're in a laboratory. We we can decide. Those things. You see, the Pharisees had long decided that if you were sick, you deserved it. If you had a disease, then you must have committed a sin somewhere along the way. So you're getting what you deserve. They they had long decided if if you were in poverty, well, you weren't doing something right. It's your fault. You deserve to be there. You did something wrong, so you deserve to be there. They could stand back and they could decide what people did and didn't deserve. The problem is that all of that changes when it's my child, my brother, my sister, my family, my parents, my cousin, my closest friend. My perspective pivots when pain becomes personal. Jesus just asked the question, what if, what if this was your kid? Would you see this differently you see in recasting the characters of the story in recasting the characters Jesus revealed their inconsistencies when we substitute out nameless faceless person that I don't really know and we put in somebody that we care about Jesus was saying to the Pharisees if we recast this story then you're going to see how inconsistent you are because you would feel differently if you knew this person we can be the same way. Uh, again, we, we read stories in the news. We we hear information on the radio. We see things on social media, and it's really easy for us to come to quick judgments when we don't know that person. We're not personally attached to that person. It's, le- it's easy to listen to every issue that comes along through the lens of my political party or or the politician that I think is always right or is always best. It's easy to step back and hear things through that clinical, theoretical, political lens, unless it's your friend in the story, it's your child in the story, it's your family member in the story. When, When we hear statistics, numbers about foster care in our state or in our nation or around the world. It's easy to hear those clinically with a clipboard. Big numbers. When when Pam Parrish tells us about young adults who have aged out of foster care with no support system, we hear numbers. We don't know names. When Michael Giddens tells us there's there are people in our, young adults in our community living on the streets and they need a chance. They need a path to a life where they can support themselves, where they can have a future. We just hear a story. We just hear numbers. When, when, when we read about, we hear about instances of racial inequality and racial injustice. It's just a story. It's a distant story. It's somebody I don't know. It's a place I don't live. Jesus would ask us in all of those circumstances and many, many more. Jesus would ask us the question he asked the religious leaders. What if it was your kid? What if if it was your nephew? What if it was your cousin? What if it was your best friend's child? What would you do if this was personal? You see, we're all guilty. We we all have inconsistencies, just like the Pharisees had inconsistencies. And when the characters are recast, it surfaces those inconsistencies. Because I have a whole different feeling when it's somebody I know. Jesus is saying to them, Jesus is saying to us, you need to view everybody as family. You, you need to have a personal attachment in all of these circumstances. You need to ask, what if that was your kid? Because when we do that, our, our, heart, our hearts begin to soften on some of these issues. We, we, don't, we don't take quite as hard of a line On some of these issues, our judgments about other people begin to lessen. Our compassion begins to increase if we just begin to ask, what if I knew them? What if I loved them? What if I cared about them the way I care about my own family? Jesus poses this question to the Pharisees and they had nothing to say. How do you respond to that? But Jesus keeps going. In verse 7, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. There was a a pecking order. There was a a priority of seats. (coughs) The host typically sat at what we would consider the head of the table, perhaps, And then moving left and right, each position had uh, a a different note of honor to it. It was a different place of priority. The closer to the host, the higher the honor, the higher the priority you were. And Jesus noticed at the beginning of the meal, everybody scrambled for the high honor seats. Everyone tried to outmaneuver, box out, Uh, fake out, whoever they had to, in order to get to the, the best seats, the priority seats, the high honor seats. So Jesus says, let me tell you a story. When someone invites you to a wedding feast do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus was, he was not suggesting that we take the lower seat as some sort of reverse psychology, right? So that in front of everybody else, we'll be ushered up to the better seats. He, he wasn't saying you, you should push, position yourself so that they'll make a show over you. Jesus was saying that the way to honor is through humility. The, the way to being exalted is serving. Jesus teaches this all throughout his ministry. The Bible teaches this all throughout Uh, It's contents that the way to greatness is by serving the way the way to honor is Humility so so Jesus challenges the Arrogance of the people at the table the rush and the chaos of everyone rushing to get the best seat is still fresh in everyone's mind. Just think those who managed to get the best seats. Now everyone's kind of looking at them. As Jesus is telling this story because Jesus has upended their normal routine. The things that honestly they they didn't even think twice about anymore. It had just become their normal behavior. They never questioned this behavior. They never questioned whether this was right. Or wrong. This is just the way it was. You tried to get the best seat. You tried to position yourself in the highest honor. Now, it's a little scary to think of how comfortable we become with how our society works, with how our normal lives work, how we just adopt things without really thinking through them. We just get comfortable, just like the Pharisees, and we assume, well, this is the way you do it. When they say go, you try to get the best See, This is just the way everybody does it. And before long, that just becomes our pattern that we never question, we never examine. We rarely wonder, is this really the way we should be living? Is this really who God has called us to be? We struggle with this specifically in the country that we live in, as great as the country is, as, as, as many freedoms and rights As we have, we we are often tempted to decide, well, if it's American, then it must be godly. Well, if this is the way we do it in America, well, then that must be what the Bible says we're supposed to do. Jesus is cautioning us to regularly step back and examine what we're doing, what we've just adopted, what we no longer question. That's what he's saying to the Pharisees. This really isn't the way to live. This really isn't the way to honor. Humility is the way to honor. And and he helps them see that their arrogance not only affects the way they relate to other people, it affects the way they are relating to each other. I mean, even in a room full of Pharisees, they're still trying to step on and step over each other to get to the highest price. Jesus says, guys, look at yourself. Look at what pride is doing to you. Look at what pride is doing to your relationships with the people you call your friends. Not just how you view a sick man, the way you treat one another is being impacted by your arrogance. Jesus goes on. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Again, just a pattern that the Pharisees never questioned. They never asked, should we be doing this differently? You invite people to your party that make you look good. You invite people to your party that you already know and you already like. And you invite people who are going to have the next party. So they'll invite you to their party. And then you'll get to go and try to get the place of honor at their party. There was this insular Self-perpetuating system that kept the in crowd in and the out crowd out. Jesus, in the middle of this system, in the middle of this dinner, says, "Guys, maybe, maybe this isn't the way we should be doing it. Maybe we should give honor to other people by humbling ourselves. Maybe." in our humility is where we find our greatest purpose. It's where we find the greatest prize. I mean, if you think about it, according to Jesus, the one guy who really should have been at the party was the guy they only invited to be the punchline of their joke. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, That's the guy you should have invited from the first. This is the type of person, if you were living well, if you were living in a way that was honoring God, you would have invited more people like that. Instead of the people that you think are going to make you look good. And once again, they were faced with, we were faced with the fact that what keeps us from seeing people with eyes of compassion, what keeps us from loving people, what keeps us from showing mercy is really not their circumstances, even though we blame it on that. It's not their problems, it's not their choices. It's our arrogance, it's our pride that we don't look for people that we can love and show mercy to and invite them to the table. What if this were your child? Are you humble enough to be able to look at people through those eyes, to love them through that heart? Jesus is challenging us Take a look at the way you're living. Take a look at what's so important to you. Take a look at what you're racing after. Are you pursuing humility? Are you pursuing serving other people? Are you pursuing seeing people with a heart of love, giving them names, knowing their faces, looking into their eyes, or are you pursuing you? I spend a good bit of time these days wondering what the church is going to be like on the other side of this. What is it going to feel like? What is it going to be like? Who's going to be left? Who's who will be gone? Who knew may be coming. It's an odd, it's an odd time, right? I- I think God is somewhat shaking us as his people. And that maybe we don't return the same. Because I'm hoping <clears throat> that as we return, as, as we get to the other side of all of this craziness, that we would return not hardened by all that we've experienced, which I think is a real possibility. Not hardened by all of the arguments that we've been having. And that's a real possibility. Not even more arrogant that my way is right and I know what is right and everybody should listen to me. I'm hoping that there is a church that emerges from this whose heart is more tender towards people than it's ever been before. And then maybe we look at some of our ways and And we go, you know what? We just don't need to do it that way anymore because that's not helping us love people. We just don't need to do it that way anymore because doing it that way causes us to miss people. We don't see them. We don't enter into their lives. Who are we going to be on the other side of all of this? One night at dinner, Jesus said, would you be humble enough to look at other people as if they were your own and love them as if they were your own. Stop worrying about who's in and out and who can help you the most. Just love. God, we want to think that we are somehow in a better place spiritually than the Pharisees, but I'm not sure that we always are. We too take delight in the pains of the people we disagree with or we don't like. We, we do. It's ugly. We take delight sometimes in the, in the failures of people who disagree with us. And, and, and it's ugly. God, help us. To have a heart of humility. That's not rushing to, to always be right or be seen or be heard. But that is lowering ourselves. Because we look at people as if they were our own family. Our compassion goes out to people as if they were our own child. Awaken a church in the world, awaken a church in America that will love the way Jesus loved. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.